Well, if you have a Bible, then I will invite you to turn to Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. And in case you're new here, we began our study in the book of Acts back in, I think, about May. Uh, we took a break while I was on parental leave. So we're now back. And it is a good passage to return to because Luke, the author, is actually beginning a, a new section in this part of the story. So Acts chapter 3, I will begin by reading from verse 1. So brothers and sisters, this is God's holy and inerrant word. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a, lame, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Now, when you hear the word healing, what images come to your mind? You may think of doctors, but for me, I think about wizards and magicians in the video games that I've played or in, or in the Lord of the Rings movie. And I also think about Wolverine from X-Men who can self-heal. Now, we have read about the account regarding the healing of the lame man. And maybe some of you uh, associate this type of healing with fiction and fantasy because healing like this like, is just totally against the law of nature. And therefore, maybe some of you, you can't trust the Bible to be reliable. And if, if you're skeptical about, about this account, then I just want to encourage you that to consider the possibility that miracles do exist. Why is that? Because if God does exist, and he does from the biblical worldview, the miracles and healings are possible because they can happen beyond our limited experience as human beings. Now Luke wrote this account as history. This book of Acts is actually a historical account. And this event occurred sometime after the day of Pentecost. And we remember in Acts chapter 2, verse 43, that all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Luke did not tell us specifically what wonders and signs the apostles did until this chapter. What we'll be learning here in this passage is the first recorded miracle that God did 
through the apostles after the ascension of Jesus in Acts. And out of the many miracles, I think Luke chose this specific account for two reasons. First, because Luke wants us to hear Peter's second sermon. Second, because the miracle and sermon were the cause of the first persecution of the church later on in Acts chapter 4. And we will go through this passage under three lessons. The first is in regards to a character that we're introduced to, and that is the lame man. The lame man reminds us or teaches us that we are living in a broken and sinful world. We are living in a broken and sinful world. In verses 1 to 2, Luke gives us the setting of this miracle account. He says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms for of those entering the temple. We were told that Peter and John, the two of Jesus' chosen apostles, went to the temple at the hour of prayer, at the ninth hour, which was at 3 p.m. Although they are followers of Jesus, we should remember that this was still their practice as observant and devout Jews. And next, we're introduced to the problem of the story, and that is the lame man. Luke doesn't tell us his name. Luke does tell us that he was lame from birth, that is, ever since he was born. We're told later in Acts chapter 4, verse 22, that he was at least 40 years old. We're told that he was being carried and laid at the gate of the temple daily. And that place is also called the beautiful gate. He was brought there so that he could ask alms, which is another way of saying begging for money. And the text tells us that they laid him daily, which suggests to us that it was his daily routine to be asking for alms at that location. The beautiful gate was probably in the location where it separated the court of the Gentiles from the court of women. But the location might not be the most important part as Luke speaks of the irony. There's something very ironic about this story is that, is that saying this part is beautiful. When we learn there's something very unsettling in this story, and that is the lame man. The irony, so much irony, there's nothing beautiful about this. The poor can ask for alms in various places, such as the houses of rich people, such as the main highways, or the temple. The, the, the temple is the best place to ask for alms for two reasons. First, many people go in and out to worship God. The poor will have a higher chance of getting alms. And second, the Jews view giving as a serious responsibility because it was an expression of compassion that God honored. Caring for the poor was expected in Judaism. This was their way of showing their piety. Since the Jews were there to, offer, uh, to give their offerings to the Lord, they should have the mindset of giving money to the temple as well. And what we learn about the lame man reflects the state of our broken and sinful world. This is the effect of sin and the fall. In the Gospels, we read that people were affected by diseases and leprosy, blindness, deafness, and the like. Now, as Canadians, uh, we should be 
maybe just a little bit grateful about living here. Because in Canada, there are programs to assist the physically disadvantaged and provide some form of subsidies for those people. However, when you look at this lame man, he was in a hopeless state where he couldn't find any cure. No doctors can heal him. No medicines can, could remedy the pain. No physiotherapy could somehow strengthen his knees. No self-improvement, no self-help books or sort resources can help him you know, muscle up his legs to walk. And this is, another this is a speculation, but his parents might have abandoned him. What an unfortunate state that he's been in for 40 years, at least 40 years. Not only were his, both his legs weren't working, he, he, he also did not have access to a wheelchair that could help him move around. Even if he had, had a wheelchair, the roads in Palestine weren't smooth and there, was, there weren't parking spots for them. Instead, if he needed to go out, he needed people to carry him around on a stretcher. I remember visiting Taiwan back in 2017. Allison and I were just strolling through the night market one day or one night, and we saw a man begging for money. And you know what broke my heart was that this man didn't have arms and legs, and he was prostrating on the dirty floor and crying out for money. I was so shocked, I was so broken for this man. It was so shocking to see the picture of humanity scarred by sin. And so the lame man here teaches us that we are living in a broken and sinful world. It's Another thing that, we, that the lame man teaches us is that we don't always know what we truly need. We don't always know what we truly need. By God's providence, the lame beggar encounters Peter and John as they were going to the temple at the hour of prayer. And, that, and that's what we see in verses 3 to 6. It says, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. Peter and John frequently went to the temple for the hour of prayer, so it was quite possible that they walked by this lame man countless times. And now he sees them. He, he asks them for alms. He was trying to get their attention. Now one does wonder if this lame man recognized Peter and John as the apostles of Jesus Christ. And this could most likely be the case since, as you remember, Peter just preached to many people at the day, on the day of Pentecost. And he could have recognized them and he's hoping that they will offer him financial relief. You should notice what he didn't ask. He didn't ask for signs and miracles to be done for him. He didn't ask to be healed and be able to walk again. And most importantly, he didn't ask for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And fortunately enough, he was able to grab their attention 
And the text tells us that Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and he said to him, Look at us, layman, look at us. Finally, the layman noted, uh, someone noticed the layman. And now this man, this beggar, he's now adhering to Peter's call by fixing his attention on them. This means to be especially observant because he's now hoping to receive something from them. However, in verse 6, Luke tells us, but, he begins, but. This is important because this is a contrast to what the lame beggar was expecting. He was expecting alms, but he got something remotely different. Peter isn't going to give him silver and gold because he doesn't have any. In other words, he doesn't have money. Imagine, if you just stop right there in this verse, imagine the disappointment that the beggar felt. No money, no financial help. What a letdown. Perhaps knowing that they were apostles, he could have expected something big from them. We can imagine him stretching out his tin cup towards them only to drop them afterwards. He didn't get what he wanted, nor did he get what he needed from his human perception. But what he's about to receive later is what he truly needed that is more valuable and eternal, and that is Jesus Christ. Now, although most of us may not be physically invalid, we can be like this lame beggar who thought he knew what he truly needed. And I'm not saying that giving financial and medical relief to people, for instance, in the third world country is bad and that they don't need it. No, we, we do need that type of ministry because it can open up opportunities for us to tell them about Jesus Christ. Nor am I suggesting that people aren't smart enough and that they don't know what they need to survive. That's not what I'm saying. They, of course, they, need, they do know what they need to survive, such as food, they need drinks, they need home, they need jobs, etc. But the question I want to ask is this, what do people in our society think they need in order to ultimately be satisfied, happy, relieved, to find purpose and fulfillment in life? What do, do you think people in the society need these days? Or do they think they need these days? Most of the time, you won't hear Jesus Christ as the answer to this question. And I hope as Christians, we would be quick to respond that our satisfaction, our fulfillment, and our purposes in life is found in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And that our purpose here on earth is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And so this lame man does teach us, does teach us, that we don't always know what we truly need. The layman also teaches us that sinners are spiritually lame and need God to hear their spiritual condition. And see, the reason sinners don't always know what they truly need is that they're more focused on the physical condition and that they don't know something about themselves and that is their spiritual condition. And even if they know that something is not right within them, right within their soul, they may seek the world to fill their emptiness. The Bible uses 
many metaphors, many different metaphors to describe, to paint a portrait or a picture of a fallen human condition, dead in our sins, blinded by the God of this world, ignorant and unstable to understand the spiritual truth, deceived and deluded, uh, deaf and dumb, leprous and lame. All these conditions should point us to a theological awareness that none of us can do anything to save ourselves. And just like the lame man couldn't do anything to heal himself, so sinners can't do anything to save and heal themselves of their spiritual condition. And that is their sin condition and their alienation from a holy and righteous God. You know, we can attend church every Sunday. We can be the most religious people in the world. We can do charitable and humanitarian work and do selfless services for others. However, no, none of those activities can eradicate a deadly virus living in sinners, which is sin. And in fact, apart from Jesus Christ, God's word says that in Isaiah, that all of our good and righteous deeds are nothing but filthy rags in the sight of God because they're done in, this, done in the flesh. And Paul says in Romans 8.8, 8, Paul says in Romans 8.8 8, that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And this message is quite offensive and a stumbling block for sinners who think they can save themselves and try to get in heaven apart from Jesus because they think they're good people by doing good deeds and being good. And if you, if you adhere to that idea this morning, then let me ask you a question. How good do you have to be in order for your sins to be forgiven? Or how good do you have to be in order for you to get into heaven? Let's just ask that question. How good do you have to be? Or you may say, well, just be good enough. Just be a nice person. That's all you need to do. But what is good enough? What is good enough? Do you get to decide what is good enough? Or does God, who rules and created heaven, decide what's good enough? God gets to decide what's good enough. God doesn't want you to simply be good. Scripture says you must be holy and perfect as God is holy and perfect. And you may say, well, that's impossible. No one can do that. And that's precisely the point. You are lame and crippled from ever becoming holy and perfect on your own. All of us can agree that none of us can be perfect. But that's why we have a good news of Jesus Christ. Christ came to the spiritually crippling world to rescue spiritually lame sinners like us. He came to save us, not because of there's anything good in us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, and not because there's something appealing and attractive about us. No, according to his mercy, he saved us despite us by going to the cross to die for our sins, to conquer Satan's sin and death by his resurrection, so that those who repent of their sins and trust in Christ alone, by faith alone, will be saved and will be healed of their spiritual condition. And Christ, he will impute his righteousness, his perfection into our status so that we can be reconciled to a holy Father. 
Isaiah says, by his wounds, we are healed. Only Jesus can heal us. And as we have learned this story thus far, some may be asking, or maybe have asked, why did this happen to this lame man? Why? Why did God allow this to happen to him? Why was he born lame from birth, and now he's been like this for at least 40 years? There are probably two reasons. First, if you look at this whole narrative, this character sets up the wider narrative from chapters 3 to 4, whereby this miracle is going to prepare people to hear the gospel and confirm Peter's apostleship. And second, taking the idea from John chapter 9, verses 1 to 3, where Jesus healed a blind man, this was born lame, not because he sinned or his parents sinned, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And we must recognize that God's sovereignty and his purposes were at work in this in the life of this lame man. And if you examine the story and we're looking and that we're looking in the wider context, there is a purpose and intent that Luke is communicating here. And one of the many purposes is God's mighty power to heal. And so lesson number two, God heals by his mighty power. Indeed, the psalmist says that the Lord heals all your diseases. And we understand from scripture that God is sovereign and omnipotent and he works out all things for those who love him according to his sovereign and purpose and will. Sometimes God can heal direct, uh, heal a person directly, but sometimes, as you see, often see in this Bible, God uses his people to accomplish his will. Uh, one good example is Moses. God used him to rescue the Israelites from Egyptian slavery, even though it was ultimately God, uh, it was ultimately God's mighty power to send the ten plagues and to part the Red Sea. So in the same way, God used his apostles to bring about the healing of the lame man. And God heals by his mighty power in the name of Jesus Christ. And we see that in the latter part of verse 6, where Peter says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter proclaims the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It is interesting that Peter attaches Jesus' location of his upbringing because being a Nazarene was despised by the Galileans. It was an insignificant village. And Nathaniel, if you remember Nathaniel in John chapter 1, he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? However, God chose to use the foolish things like Jesus of Nazareth to shame the wise to bring about the healing of the crippling man. And the name of Jesus pertains to his character, his authority, and his power. And for Peter to call upon the name of Jesus was an act that was consistent with Jesus' will. Later on, Peter explains that it was Peter, it was by faith, that is Peter's faith, in the name of Jesus that the lame beggar was healed in Acts chapter 3, verse 16. Another thing is, <clears throat> God heals by his power, by his mighty power through his apostles to confirm the revelatory gifts. The revelatory gifts. Peter gives him an imperative with the authority of Christ. He tells him to rise up and walk. And what's the result? Peter took him by the right hand 
and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. This was a genuine gift of healing from the Apostle Peter. And this healing occurred immediately. This, hap- this healing did not happen at a gradual process. It was an immediate cure. Now, Pastor Keon talked about the con- confirmatory gifts and the revelatory gifts many weeks ago. You can check it out on the website. And I agree that the Apostle Peter, he had the confirmatory gift, which is the healing to later authenticate the revelatory gift, which is his apostleship in declaring the gospel later. And the gift of healing, for instance, was a sign of an apostle to confirm the word. And I'll speak more on this later on in a bit when I have you consider the biblical teaching of healing. You see, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 says, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty work. See, the healing of the lame man and other accounts where healing took place in the Old Testament and in the Gospels is not like the alleged healing of modern days from the charismatic movement and so-called faith healers such as Oral Roberts, Benny Hinn, and Todd White. You see, if you compare their teaching, uh, to their teachings of healing with the Bible, they're actually nowhere close to being biblical especially when you examine this passage about the healing of the lame man. They would tell you things like, well, you need to have enough faith in in God and God will heal you. That's often the the point that they use. You got to have enough faith. And if God doesn't heal you, then you're to be blamed for not having enough faith. Imagine how abusive and destructive that language is to the person who is suffering from illness. Listen to Benny Hinn's own words. He said this, and I quote, Faith is vital to your miracle. Healing is received by faith, and healing is kept by faith, end quote. But when you look at this story right here that we just examined, did the lame man have faith that he would be healed? No. He wasn't even expecting to be healed in the first place. That's not to say that God did not heal people in the past based on the exercise of their faith in him. Uh, For instance, Jesus healed the daughter of the Canaanite woman in Matthew 15 because of her faith. But however, when you examine the whole counsel of God's word, faith was never a prerequisite for healing. It was never a prerequisite for healing. Furthermore, these faith healers will tell you to give money to the ministry. May, some of you may have experienced that and heard that in the past. And, and they say, give money to the ministry and God will bless you with not just healing, but, but with prosperity. And this was invented by Oral Roberts, known as the seed faith. The seed faith. It means that money and material things donated to his organization were like kernels planted that would produce a crop of material blessings from the Lord. God would multiply in miraculous ways whatever was given to Robert's ministry and give many times back more to the donor. But did the lame man, when you, again, looking back at the story, and later on many other of the healing stories in the book of Acts, Did the lame man even have money to give to Peter and John to be healed? 
No. Rather, he was just begging for money. And so what's the biblical teaching of healing? What's the biblical teaching of healing? Well, first, uh, well, this question is not just theological, but also applicable. The, the reason is that you go into the world and you hear stuff within the umbrella of Christianity, and so you need to be equipped to think and discern biblically about this topic. You know, 1 John 4 tells us, you know, do not believe everything, to, but, but to discern the spirit, to see whether they're from God or from something else. So you, the first thing you got to know is that healings were always successful. It was also successful. So you got to ask yourself, was the healing completely successful when someone claims to have healed someone? See, Peter did not fail to heal this lame man. See, according to ABC Nightline, it was reported back in 2009 that Benny Hinn doesn't have medical verification of any of the healings. And he admitted that. It was further reported that some of his supposed healings have turned out not to be, have been real. Uh, see, there was a nine-year-old who was, had a damaged vision who claimed later that his eyesight was restored at a Benny Hinn's uh, crusade. However, at 17 years old, he was still blind. So when you look at the Bible, healings were always 100% successful. Second, healings were immediate. Was the healing immediate? See, when you look at this passage, Peter did not teach and train the lame man to how to walk. He somehow instantly learned his coordination. He learned to balance his feet. He somehow knew how to walk, even though he never walked in his life. You know, the muscles and the tendons and his bones from his feet to his thighs gave him the ability not only to walk, but also to leap and to jump as well. He's like a child who discovered a brand new toy to enjoy. You see, in, this, in the original language, it suggests that he was in exuberant joy because he can walk now, he can jump now. This was truly an extraordinary miracle. And not only was he able to walk, he entered the temple with Peter and John. And this is important to know. He entered the temple. And perhaps he might have never entered the temple into, in, in his whole life as a crippling man. He was only at the gate of the temple. Third, healings were spontaneous. You see, God sovereignly planned this event to occur, but on a human level, this happened spontaneously. It's not like one day Peter and John just wrote on a calendar one day and just planned for this whole thing that to heal this lame man. No, they didn't plan for it. They didn't plan some sort of healing crusade. They were originally planned to go to the, to the temple to pray. But long and behold, spontaneously, they decided to heal this lame man. Fourth, healings authenticated the true message. See, just as Jesus Christ performed miracles and uh, signs to authenticate his deity, according to John chapter 10, verse 38, so the apostles performed and uh, performed signs and miracles to authenticate their message, which, which will be written down in the Bible. And I'll elaborate further when we get to our third point. 
Brothers and sisters, I call out these false, these, these faith healers because it's biblical. You see that in First Timothy, where Paul names names false teachers. These so-called faith healers overpromise, but underdeliver. They are very dangerous to Christian faith. They are wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. They are counterfeit to authentic Christianity, and they prey on the desperate and needy people. And so it begs the question: Why, if they if they proclaim and self-proclaim to be faith healers, why would God give these people the ability to heal when they teach false gospel and bad theology? I mean, it's a rhetorical question. Of course God doesn't. One pastor said, and I quote, self-proclaim miracle workers who teach a false gospel either cannot perform miracles or do so, or they do so by a power that does not come from God. If it doesn't come from God, where, where does it come from? It comes from the enemy. Did you know that false teachers and Satan can also do signs and miracles, except they're false? They're meant to lead people astray? It's written down in 2 Corinthians and even in Matthew chapter 24. And the effect of their actions is deadly and satanic. It affects those who have been deceived because it leads them to false hopes. It could lead them to doubt and to be skeptical of the real message of Christianity. It could also lead them not to trust in the power of God. It could also lead them to possibly think that God participates in deception. Second Peter verses one to three says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. The book of Acts teaches us that Jesus tasked the apostles with the responsibility to be his witnesses. Notice that the ministry of the apostles, the ministry of the apostles wasn't about glorifying themselves. It wasn't about gaining money, being popular and fame and being rich. It was about glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ and being his witnesses. They were imitating John the Baptist who once said, he must increase, but I must decrease. Therefore, brothers and sisters, if you're in ministry this morning, our ministry is not about glorifying ourselves. It's not about the money. It's not about fame. Our ministry is not about feeding people's egos and their self-perceived needs and wants. Because ultimately, we must remember as Christians, people don't always truly know what they need because their flesh rejects the things of the Spirit of God. We must give them the Word of God. Our ministry is about glorifying Christ, proclaiming the gospel, see the lost saved from their sin and eternal condemnation, and teaching them to obey Christ and to love Christ as an act of worship. 
So God heals. He does heal by his mighty power through his apostles to confirm the revelatory gifts. And, he, and God heals by his mighty power to bring much glory and praise to himself. See, just as the sun rises and draws our attention to, to itself and its beauty, so God reviews his mighty work to draw our attention to himself. Ultimately, this healing led to worship to the one and only God. See, the goal here is not healing, but the goal is the worship of the one true God. Miracles are means to an end, which is praising God and faith in God. And twice in verses 8 to 9, this lame man, after he was healed, he was praising God because of the work of God and leaping up. In verses 8 to 9, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. He was worshiping God. This will be the mark, a mark that the church was living in. That is the messianic times. We're living in the last days. They were living in the last days according to Isaiah 35. It was the mark and sign of, the, of God's kingdom, of the coming of God's kingdom. In Isaiah chapter 35, verses 3 to 6, Isaiah says, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. The last lesson is this, from what we learn from this passage. See, the account of this healing was meant to set up a scenario where people were prepared to hear the gospel. See, in verses 8, 9 to 10, we see the crowd's reaction. We see their reaction. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The crown and temple and all the people saw the lame beggar walking and praising God. They recognized him because he's the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking and begging for money. They knew him. They knew him. And now their reaction was that they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. They were in a state of astonishment because they've been exposed to an unusual event where this man was jumping and walking and leaping and praising God. See, this miracle and sign of healing was meant to draw people, was meant to draw their attention and point them to divine truth. And when you compare Acts 2 and 3, there seems to be a parallel. In Acts chapter 2, the apostles were speaking in tongues and the people were wondering what happened and they needed an explanation. And so Peter just burst out and preached a sermon. And so similarly, in Acts chapter 3, the folks, you know, there was a healing. And then the folks needed an explanation of, for what happened to the lame man. And then Peter will now t- tell them the gospel, which we'll look at next week. So in other words, 
This is all meant to set the crowd up to be ready to hear the gospel. This demonstrates that Peter was truly an apostle of Jesus Christ because he did not point the miracle to himself, but pointed to Christ where their sins can be forgiven. And so when you read stories like this, you may ask, is the gift of healing, was it only something that happened in the past or is it still in operation today? And if the gift of healing was a sign of apostleship, it was, if it was meant to authenticate the apostles' message and those in the early church, then I don't think, I don't think it's meant to be normative for Christians today because there are no more apostles. Healing was unique to the first century church. It was essential during the development of the early church and for the written revelation of God's word. And I think the pandemic that we've been experiencing the past year and a half might even strongly demonstrate that the gift of healing has ceased. And we should ask ourselves, where are all the faith healers of our day? Where are all the faith healers these days? We don't hear news these days where faith healers are healing people of COVID-19. We don't hear them planning crusades. Furthermore, Scripture seems to also indicate that this healing was temporary and that it slowly ceased. Now, you only hear about miraculous healing like, or the gifts of healing in the Gospels, in Acts, and in 1 Corinthians. But later on, you know, this gift of healing seems to have slowly ceased as you read the New Testament in chronological order. See, the Apostle Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, to use a little wine for the sake of his stomach and his frequent ailments. Paul should certainly have had the ability to heal Timothy since he did it in Acts, but he didn't. Now, this does not mean that God does not heal anymore. It doesn't mean that God stopped performing miracles. But we must recognize God, that God is God and we are not. Only God can heal and nobody can twist God's arms. However, in his common grace, God has provided other means for us to possibly be healed. We have medicines. We have natural medicinal plants, depending on your culture. We have doctors and nurses and surgeons at the hospital. And if I ever have a bad headache, I just slap myself with a Tylenol and I'll be fine the next day. As it has been mentioned in the announcement, we want to we recognize there are those of you who are, not, who are not feeling well, dealing with health issues. And we want to continue to pray. Pray for those who are struggling with their health. Of course we want that. We can pray, just like Third John verse 2 says, that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. We should pray. Pray for those who are dealing with, battling with health issues. See, prayer offered in faith will heal the sick person if, that is a big if, if this prayer is consistent with, this, with the glorious purpose and will of God. We should never doubt the fact that God can heal. God can heal. Uh, for instance, at least 10 years ago, I heard a story of a pastor who suffered from brain cancer, and the, ch and the chance of him surviving was very low. And a bunch of other believers surrounded him in prayer. And by God's grace, God healed him 
through surgery. So we do, we do believe that God can still heal if it's according to his will. And, and, but we also must remember that God doesn't always heal. Hear me. God doesn't always heal. I know it sounds very discouraging, but that's reality. God does not always heal. Let me just give you a couple of examples in Scripture very briefly. For instance, God did not, God did not heal Paul from the thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians. God did not heal Trophimus. We don't know who's Trophimus. He's in, you can find him in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20. And as mentioned about Timothy, God did not heal Timothy from his frequent ailment. It was very frequent that he was sick. So as Christians, going through sickness and suffering, we go through all these hard times, and I think God uses them as means of sanctifying us to make us more and more like Christ, to be holy. And in the case of Paul with the thorn in the flesh, sickness should humble us and cause us to depend upon the grace of God and our weaknesses, and it should drive us to pray to him and depend on him. And even though healing does not always happen, we can still pray, and prayer is still useful because it comforts. It comforts and encourages the sick. So in conclusion, unfortunately, sickness and disease, pain and death are still realities in the world. And we all hope this whole pandemic, this whole COVID-19 will pass very soon. And unless the Lord returns, everyone who is alive today, we will all die. And including Christians as well, we will all pass away as a result of a physical problem like our disease, our old age, our heart problems, sickness, injury. It's not always God's will to heal us physically here on earth. However, ultimately, here's the hope. Here is our glorious hope for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that is our full, there will be a physical healing, just maybe not here on earth. Our full physical healing awaits us in a new heaven, in a new earth. There will be no more pain sickness, disease, suffering, or death. There will be no more of that. We should be less preoccupied with our physical condition, although it is important, but we should also be, also be as, just as concerned about our spiritual condition as well. And if we do so, then we can focus our hearts on heaven where we will no longer have to deal with physical problems, no longer need to deal with sickness, no longer need to deal with pandemics and any other viruses. That is our hope. And so, let me end off with this verse from Revelation chapter 4, where, true, where we can have hope of the true healing that we all look forward to. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Father God, we come to you again. 
Lord, if there is any correction in our minds about this gift of healing, please do so. Help us to gain better clarity of what your Bible teaches. And for those of us who feel discouraged and feel hopeless in our physical condition because of sickness and health issues, pray that you will grant us hope, much-needed hope. And even as we think about here, our, our life here on earth, as we suffer and even go through difficult times, let us count this suffering in this world as nothing in comparison to the glory that is to be revealed to us in the future. Because we will be transformed one day and we will have a new body in the future where we won't have to deal with all these pain and sickness. But of course, we do pray. As I pray, again, as has been prayed many times, for those, who, for those who are sick, dealing with health issues, I pray, if it is your will, Lord, please heal. Please heal. And also, if there are those who are in our midst who have recognized their spiritual condition, but they don't know you, I pray that they will turn to you, turn to Christ for salvation. And, that, and to trust in him, what he has done on the cross for, her, for them, so that they can be healed of their spiritual condition, that their sins can be forgiven, and to be reconciled to a holy and righteous God, and to follow Jesus for all their lives. And so God, as we come together again to celebrate communion, we thank you for these, for these elements. Thank you for this uh, ordinance that we can be reminded of the gospel again and again of what you have done for us so lord i pray that you would uh refresh us edify us encourage us and comfort us in the name of jesus our lord and savior amen